and thank you for the download. It's Friday, September 20th, and this is episode 13 of the Marty Called Podcast. I'm Tim Grassy, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Skipper Ben. What's up, Ben? Vasectomies. <laughs> and speaking of vasectomies. <laughs> Sultan of Saki. How's it going, Josh? Erectile dysfunction. <laughs> we are immature toddlers. There are big words, apparently. <laughs> Just for the listeners who don't know, we Ben and I have come up with a new game, which is to introduce ourselves in such a way that makes Tim have to like start over and do it again. So there may be <laughs> that some, was take uh, nine. This is fun. After the, after the show closed music, there may be some outtakes. We'll see how it all goes out. So uh, uh, we, we called for some listener questions. Uh, we didn't get much. Um, apparently no one listens to the show. Uh, I don't really blame you. And then if, if uh, the listeners can phone it in, then so can we. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we had some other thoughts as well. Uh, Josh and I are going to be holding hands as we skip around and say farewell to Illuminations and say hello to Epcot forever uh, in the interim moment that that's going to be taking place. I just um, pause to laugh at the fact that the temporary show is called Epcot forever. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. The show with a lifespan of seven months, Epcot forever. I think that's kind of in the same vein as Disneyland forever, which is the uh, show that they I don't think have run for more than a year out there either. So really on brand guys we'll, maybe we'll, this thing will go full wand and just stay around for seven years <laughs> uh i know that there is significant investment already into harmony us so we'll see whether or not this is actually just you know something that gets extended or not really kind of remains to be seen but anyway um i digress so uh why don't we start with the some of the listener questions and then we can talk about uh the upcoming trip that josh and i have unless you guys want to start the other way around nope Nope, that works. All right. So our first listener question comes to us from John Patrick Kilty. Uh, And I will preface this by saying this is something that we've ignored since December of 2018. Uh, Glad to see Marty called back on the podcast airwaves. It's a great show. Here's my idea for Epcot based on the discussion on episode three. Uh, We've been hearing rumors of a spaceship Earth refurb. Yes, and those rumors have become a reality. Obviously, the descent needs an upgrade during this refurb. My idea would be to show how the family lives in the future, just as Horizons showed. Uh, we could have some scenes inspired by some of the scenes on what we saw on Horizons. For example, the Omega Centauri space station, Sea Castle, and Mesa Verde scenes would be still relevant and fit in nicely with Spaceship Earth. Uh, Brava Centauri, by the way. Perhaps we could even get the orange sent back. They would have to be abbreviated as the descent isn't as long as the last third of Horizons. To compromise the old Epcot with the new IPCOT, perhaps we could insert Disney characters throughout the various scenes of Spaceship Earth. I'm thinking of a more subtle inclusion of the characters, sort of how Small World and Disneyland has included the characters. Perhaps you guys could come up with more, but here are a few that I thought of. Hercules in the Greek theater scene, Wally or Buzz Lightyear in the new Omega Centauri scene, Finding Nemo or Little Mermaid Still characters. Centauri. Yes, still Prophet Centauri in the, in the new Sea Castle scene and Pinocchio in the Michelangelo scene. The tribute to Horizon scene would satisfy the old Epcot fans and the characters would satisfy the kids and the Pixie Dusters. Just my thoughts. Keep up the good work. Looking forward to the next show. Or the next 11, as it turns out. <laughs> <laughs> we got to uh, figure out how this whole uh, email works in the WWWs. Um, there's a lot to unpack here. Do you guys have any initial thoughts on this? Yeah, I have a lot. I, I agree. There's so much there. I'm not sure where to start. I'll take a stab at it if you want. Sure. So the one thing I would say that where I think there's risk for us classic Epcot fans is we don't want to necessarily beg the company to pander to us. Right. What made us fall in love with Epcot was the fact that the quality of the stories and the 
you know, creative and inspiring vision of the future was really executed well. Mm-hmm. And I worry that if you just try and, you know, do a do a tribute to that, that you can sort of undermine the point in a way that doesn't really land very well. The one idea that I absolutely agree with John about is that uh, certainly the dissent, <laughs> I mean, to say it needs a refurb is almost <laughs> understating it. It needs to exist. Right. I would like to see the screens taken out of the the ride vehicles and, and to have some physical sets there because I think that that's just a space that's so interesting that it deserves to be given the treatment that it's uh, worthy of. You know, an Omnimover almost by definition is a mechanism for linear storytelling. I mean, it's it's on a track. It has a beginning and a middle and an end. It is literally a line. of It is literally a line. <laughs> and Spaceship Earth, more than almost any other that I can think of, has those three parts pretty clearly delineated because you have an ascent and then you have that top scene and then you have a descent. So I think that, you know, how you structure the story there has to be predicated upon what the story is that they actually want to tell. And that's, that's one thing that we don't know now we can step in their shoes and try and just say, this is what we would do. Um, you know, obviously when spaceship earth opened, it was sponsored by, by the bell companies and they used communication as the lens through which they told the story but I would disagree with some people who say that ride's about communication. I, I would say it's about humanity, and it's about the evolution of humankind and human relationships and the role that communication played in that. It's um, still been let's let's think about it though. Like they, they explicitly said communications was the was the focus of it, and they say a lot of things like that that don't necessarily mean anything, right? But if if there was an underlying theme. It would have to be communications. I mean, I, I think more so than humanity because it's been the evolution of community uh, of uh, of communications. That, that's kind of how I how I view it. I agree, in part and disagree, in part. That communications okay. are irrelevant. It was it's about human communications. You know, if you take the human part out of that, the communications means nothing. You could take the communications part out, and the human evolution still has some meaning. So I I would. And I, I've said this before. I think it's the overarching theme of of most Disney attractions that have any root in reality is it's it's a, it's some degree a story of humanism told through the lens of some other mechanism. I mean, Horizons is a, is another good example. You know, there was space travel and agriculture, but you wouldn't say that that ride was about those things. It well, was it was about, kind of Horizons was almost more of the thesis attraction for the park. I agree, hundred percent. Yeah, relative to Spaceship Earth, but I think there's also. Some some credit needs to be given, or just dumb luck, that communications evolved more than any other topic they tackled from 1982 onward. So that's either like incredible foresight or dumb luck that that happened to be the centerpiece attraction. And whether you're agreeing or disagreeing that communications was the primary focal point, it was certainly a focal point. Yeah, I certainly wouldn't argue that it was not a focal point. And I think that throughout history, communications has probably evolved more than anything else. And Mm -hmm. it's because, and in fact, you can, I think you could make a strong argument that the actual evolution of society has never advanced without a corresponding uh, improvement in communications. I mean, you don't have to go back. You could go back to the beginning of mankind and there was agriculture to some degree. It was sort of uh, accidental, I guess. And that, you know, but there were plants growing, you know, there was, there was things to eat for as long as people have been alive. You know, but there's a period, you know, the fact that we have the word prehistoric is all the evidence you need to know that there was a point in time at which we didn't have the ability to actually record the events that happened to us. And it was only, you know, since lifespans have a finite time to them, it was only our ability to accumulate knowledge and pass it to another generation was, you know, bolstered more than anything else by the ability to actually record that. So I'm definitely not undermining the, the role of communications in that attraction. All I'm saying is that you could sort of, you could portray that evolutionary picture 
without focusing necessarily on any products made by a telecommunications company. Oh, that, that's definitely true. <laughs> that's, that's I mean, <laughs> the primary focus, if you go through that attraction and just think of it like objectively, uh, and we have to look at this somewhat crassly, but these are just various ways that you could produce a dick pic. Like the entire breadth of that attraction. All right. We, I'm sure we had cavemen doing it, doing it on cave walls. Then we had artists. Imagine we, if you know, Snapchat came in as the new sponsor <laughs> for that attraction. Exactly. There's just like I mean, a big, like projected dick pic on the cave wall. <laughs> I mean, everything is basically just how, how guys can be perverts. And that's really just the evolution of communication. That's I don't disagree with you on that. I mean, they say that there's an old wives tale and I don't, I, I'm urban legend. Maybe I don't know what the correct uh, idiom is to describe it, but that one of the big contributing reasons that VHS won out over Betamax is because the porn industry embraced (laughs) it. And I have no idea if that's true. I've heard people that I trust as sort of technology historians that have told me that that's not actually true, but it's still a Disney and porn. It's kind of, it's it's kind of what the the leading uh, uh, trendsetters are with you look at uh, Betamax and VHS. You can also argue HD DVD versus Blu-ray were decided by the same parties as well. Disney and porn. Right. as they go. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, to, to try and bring my meandering point to some sort so, of so, conclusion. So the descent is going to involve, the descent's going to involve porn now, right? Yeah, I the think The future so. of porn. No. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> Just as long as we're all clear. Omega Centauri, not Bravo Centauri. <laughs> yep. Okay, of course, cool. We're good. Of course, it's, if it's really going to parallel porn, then it shouldn't be any longer than three minutes. <laughs> but anyway, the point I was going to make is that uh, the the ideal if you're going to have if you're going to say that there's a beginning middle and end to an attraction like this to me it seems like the ascent should deal with the historical perspective the the middle the earth scene should be some sort of crescendo celebrating what's been accomplished so far and then the descent is the opportunity to talk about the future and that's sort of what John was was alluding to it's what's what he yeah. said the one thing I would disagree with I think one fundamental difference between Horizons and Spaceship Earth, besides it just being the thesis, is that Horizons really focused on a single family, which yeah. which worked for that attraction because it was sort of he called the, for that though. It was the fact that something was very exciting, despite it was a mundane day in their lives. You know, the kid was having yeah, a birthday, yeah, yeah. and it, it was still amazing. But it was like it's a day that had events in it that we can all relate to, which is part of what I think made it so compelling. I would. I'd rather see a series of vignettes that just dealt with sort of generic groups mm-hmm. of people here rather than a single family, because I think that's how the rest of the ride is structured. And one thing that I'm sort of hoping that Epcot will get back to is having continuity. So I don't want to be an advocate for breaking <laughs> the continuity within a single attraction. Um, so that would be my thought there. But other than that, you know, I think his ideas, I, I can't disagree. The descent is what needs the most attention. I would say second to that, the earth scene that needs to be cleaned up and updated. I mean, the paint's chipping off to where you can see lots of white. I mean, just general repair and, you know, care needs to be given to it as well as updating a lot of the scenes. You're talking about the earth at the top, right? Yeah. Okay. Do you guys think there's a, you know, an issue with the descent, having that kind of horizons looking towards the future uh, setting where, you know, back when horizons was made, Technology didn't move in advance as quickly as it does now to where if you are doing that scenes where we're looking at how families might live in the future, it it tends to have the issue of maybe dating itself much quicker uh, than than what, you know, again, like Horizons was when that opened. Do y'all think what do you think the issue? I would disagree with that premise, to be honest with you. Okay. I, I don't think that technology is necessarily moving faster now. I, I think that throughout history, we've had periods that are revolutionary, where things change dramatically due to a technological breakthrough. And then we tend to have a much longer period that is evolutionary, where 
that thing exists, but it's getting much better. It's getting cheaper. It's becoming more ubiquitous. And I don't think that what we're experiencing right now is necessarily that technology has, uh, the rate of change in technology has gotten much faster. But I do think that the early to mid 80s were the middle of a revolutionary period. It was a point in time where most people did not own a computer, you know, and the, the internet didn't exist. You know, so there's a lot of things that were just coming onto the scene that were very transformative. And, you know, you can't argue that those things have gotten much better in the intervening years. But I think we're probably relatively close to a new revolutionary period in technological innovation. So that's what's going to be exciting to people. In other words, you can't, if everyone, if the majority of your, of your guests have experienced the internet, then they're not going to be blown away by taking on an attraction that shows an internet that just has faster speed. That's not yeah. interesting. You have to show some some transformative technology that impacts life in a way that is meaningfully different, I think. What if it's plaid speed? <laughs> uh, Tesla says that's coming, apparently. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I guess what I was would I mean, I'll be quick here. Uh, you know, I would almost want to look at those who have helped shape and create the future that we have now, as opposed to necessarily looking what's life going to be like a hundred years from now. Uh, I, I wouldn't mind having something that maybe changed it a little bit. Again, if we're sticking with that communications uh, theme, like I would personally want to, want to kind of keep throughout the attraction, Uh, you know, looking at those innovators and, and doing something along that descent that kind of pays tribute and homage to those characters. And it, it just kind of gives it maybe a little bit more timeliness than, uh, than, than the other way that could date itself a little faster. Are you thinking like innovators throughout history, modern yes, innovators? Yes, yes, uh, throughout history. Okay. It's an interesting approach to this. Uh, see, maybe I'm just disconnected from the financial complications of actually doing this <laughs> to where I'm, you know, I, I'm trying to take a blue sky approach here, which would be free of the constraints of maybe the economic concerns. But I don't, I don't really subscribe to the idea that you can't do a technology based attraction because it dates itself. It's like, yes. It does date itself, um, but that just means that you update it one day, uh, like, it like it Carousel Progress. Do <laughs> yes. well, I, I, I fear I fear a Carousel Progress type deal where where uh, yes, when that was being created, that was looking you know it's, it's on a much shorter timeline, and so that those products and those deals did date themselves much much faster than I think any kind of change would be uh, done here. But their lack of uh, the the lack of pushing towards changing and updating those things in a timely manner. That's the, that's the part that worries me. It's more about the company side and the execution and upkeep of these attractions uh, than anything else. I just, I hear a lot of people talk about technology based attractions being non-feasible because they date themselves as if to suggest that attractions that aren't technology focused don't have an expiration date on them. Uh, you know, and that's not the case. I mean, we've seen plenty of attractions that are, you know, entirely fantasy based or entirely history based or entirely culturally based that have gone away just because there's been a shift in the sensibilities or interests of guests that have nothing to do with technological advance. So to me, this is sort of an untapped market. It's a market that Disney used to tap with Epcot um, and they've just sort of gotten away from it. But that doesn't that doesn't mean that there's not a room for it somewhere. Now, I don't know, maybe the descent of Spaceship Earth because of the nature of that show building is an incredibly difficult and expensive thing to change out. I mean, that's possible. It's for, That's reasonable to me. I mean, that's a certainly there's yeah. not a lot of people in the world that have experience working on a geodesic sphere, right? I mean, that's an odd building as buildings go. 
So maybe that's not the place for it. Maybe you put that in more of a black box type of building where it's easier to switch it out down the road. But but nonetheless, I, I'm willing to suggest that there are enough people, people by, by nature of being human, we are obsessed with the future, right? Anyone who's afraid of dying one day is obsessed with the future. We're always looking to our own mortality and what's going to happen in our lifespan and whether or not we're going to live to see something occur. That's just part of the human experience. So to me, there, there's just a tremendous amount of opportunity there that I'm, I'm a little sad to see that the company's not doesn't seem to have the confidence to try and grasp onto. I think that when we look at futurism, it should always be there. There's always a component of that where we should be looking forward in a park like Epcot, especially. Uh, but it is it is a moving target. I understand Ben's concern, but this has been a ride that's historically been updated every 10 to 12 years. So they're not beneath updating it so much that it's dated. It's just that it sucks. So the reason for the update this time around is is just that. It's not because the technology that they're exhibiting uh, feels dated. It was that it was lousy to begin with. To the point about the video monitors that are on there, they did show two pieces of concept art at D23, and it appeared that those monitors weren't there anymore, which is at least something going in the right direction. There are some things on here that he said as well about uh, character integration. I assume you guys are against that. Oh, the more the merrier. <laughs> okay. So Ben's version for putting characters all over the place. <laughs> uh, I oppose. So again, this is pedantic, and I apologize to the listeners for having to hear me say it. Uh, the objection I have to it is that it's it's. I don't want to find a way to fit a character in. Right. I want to figure out a way to tell the most compelling story I can and create the characters that are needed to do that. Or if that character already exists in the Disney catalog, then use it. But I think that, and I don't think that any of the original Imagineers would disagree with me when I say that you, you've got to start with the story. That you know, I, I admit that I am more technically minded than artistically minded. This is not my yep. strength. But but notwithstanding that, I've listened to enough artists talk about the craft of creating a story to know that you have to start with that with, with that narrative, with that with that story. You don't you don't. It's like an artist saying, I've got this new color of paint and I'm hell bent on using it no matter what. No great artist would ever tell you you do that. You know, you, you figure out what you want to create and then you find the tools to create it. And I think that ride systems and show buildings and IP, those are tools in the artist's toolbox to tell the story. But the, the hard part is coming up with what that story is. You know, the, the best thing that writing can ever hope to do Writing perfectly executed at its best can only communicate a good idea. You, you've got to start with a good idea. All you can do from there is hurt it by executing it poorly. One of the things that was said about um, Harmonious before it was uh, uh, Harmonious. Say it correctly. Um, Thank you. <coughs> excuse me. Harmonious. <laughs> was that it was going to be based on some of the stories uh, that were inspired by the history of some of these countries. And a lot of that is a cop-out in order to integrate a story, a Disney story into Epcot. Um, they've said in the tw at the 2019 Expo that uh, Spaceship Earth will, be, will have its uh, focus shift from communications to storytelling. And one of the pieces of concept art that was shown uh, was intentionally vague, but people are speculating that it is a Moana sequence if they effectively gut every scene in that attraction and focus on storytelling around the world and the traditions of an oral history of say a Polynesian culture, and they use Moana as an example, they, uh, some of the other uh, recent movies 
Coco had a pretty rich storytelling uh, background to it, but all of these things are largely inspired by fairy tales or just uh, stories in general. Uh, it's kind of a generic catch-all that would be a very loosely connected theme, and it could conceivably allow them to put in any and all of these characters in a totally gutted ride that just happens to take place in the former Spaceship Earth building. And if they do that, they might as well just change the name of the theme park. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I hate that. I mean, first of I'm, all, I'm not very, suggesting this by any means. Let me just be clear. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. extraordinarily meta to to, mm-hmm. to get involved in storytelling about storytelling. I mean, right. it's like you know, Spaceship Earth Inception. So, and I don't like it for that reason. Um, you know, tell me a story. Don't tell me about. Don't tell me a story about telling a story. Right. Right. No, I I, I get it. I'm just just throwing out what very well may happen. Like, imagine um, if a musician wrote a song about writing a song. Like you'd be like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> That's what it seems like to me. Um, so, so anyway, getting back to uh, his, his question, he said, perhaps you guys could come up with more. Here are a few I thought of Hercules in the Greek theater scene, uh, Wally or Buzz Lightyear in the new Omega Centauri scene. For me, and I'm not meaning this to be insulting to John because I understand what his motivation was. If they were to do that sort of thing, I would feel that it would be incredibly tone deaf to what the attraction was. And yeah. if that's the case, don't don't half ass it. Don't just don't keep the same general approach to things. Gut it and put in time racers or something that's totally different. These band aid slap characters where they don't belong, uh, force them in as jo- as Josh kind of alluded to, doesn't doesn't work for me. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think part of the reason that Epcot fans from old, from decades ago are suffering as much as they are. Is because we've been we're being murdered by by a thousand cuts here. Oh, absolutely! You know, it wasn't they didn't come in and behead it and say we have a new vision and we're totally changing gears and that's what's going to be. It's a very it's been a very wishy washy, uh, you know, IP injection here. Tribute to old school Epcot there. Guarantee that we still love the original idea of the park. It's just there's such it's like you know your spouse coming home and saying I love you more than anything. By the way, I'm going out with my uh, boyfriend tonight. You know, it's just it's it's very hard to reconcile the messaging that we're getting from the company, and it's even harder to reconcile what their objective is when you look at the actions that they've taken in the park. So, I you know that's sort of the macro problem that I see, and the micro version of it would be to go into an attraction and do something like that. It's just I agree with you. If you're gonna just have a big vision, and you know what, if it fails miserably, but it was an honest effort and it was really you know a true hundred percent all in effort, then fine. Because that's part of innovation. You know, I ask any great innovator and they, they will all tell you that failure is is the path to success. But, uh, you know, I don't want to see two-thirds of it be a classic Epcot attraction no. and the final thing right, be a right. tribute to IP. Now, you know, he mentioned it a bit in the email there, but, uh, you know, what was y'all's take on the characters being added to It's a Small World? You know, and obviously there's the rumor now that it could be happening in Florida as well. Uh, what, what, you know, it, it's... Kind of on along the same lines, but but some are done better than others. I think. Yeah, I I agree. I don't I don't completely hate the way it's done at Small World, but I think by adding them to uh, because it doesn't really change too much the tone in the messaging. I feel on Small World when you add the characters to Spaceship Earth, it just completely changed that attraction one hundred percent. And when you're changing the icon, you know the iconic attraction of the park, it it just it just flips everything on its head completely. Yeah, 
I mean, I think to some degree, there's probably an, it, it's probably better not to jar your viewers into confusion, you know, and yeah, if, right, right. when you're in, it's a small world and it's a fantasy it's, you know, yes, it's based on reality, but, but like you said, there's a, there's a tone to it. There's a, I mean, you almost go into a trance when you're on that ride, right? I mean, it's, it, you're not thinking about real world. It's a, it's a, it's taking you out of the real world, ironically, and showing you a picture of harmony that could exist in the real world, but it's not, it's not about technology. It's not about the future. It's, it's just very, it's very removed from reality. Whereas if you're, you know, in spaceship earth, you're looking at actual historical events and you're thinking about the moon landing and the development of the computer and, and astronomy and uh, you know, space travel. And then all of a sudden you're getting hit with cartoon characters that just creates a tremendous amount of discomfort and cognitive dissonance that I think, you know, if the, if the descent is the conclusion of the ride. That's the point where you're supposed to be tying everything together, not introducing something new that shreds the continuity of everything that came before it. I'm going to introduce something here that I don't think uh, I've ever mentioned on this show, and it's going to blow your mind. I'm ready to be blown. All right, get ready to react to this story. What if we move It's a Small World to Epcot? It makes sense. I'm so proud of Ben for not saying anything. I, my whole goal is to make completely stoic and <laughs> for as long as I possible. I believe I've suggested this on half you of You two jerks! Yeah, you have. <laughs> um, I mean, it's it's kind of the taking his idea and, and putting it just elsewhere in the park. I think the the scope of It's a Small World is a little bit more lighthearted than Spaceship Earth. And putting in characters and an attraction like that, I think... I think isn't really diluting that attraction's method message all that much because the characters aren't really the focus. It's almost like a where's Waldo type approach mm-hmm. to things. Yeah. yeah. Um, whereas if they were to be put into spaceship earth, they would be part of the scenes in a way where they would be the focal point. Yep. It, it wouldn't be a where's Waldo situation. It would be Moana telling a story or Mo- Moana hearing a story. Uh, yeah. It, it, it wouldn't be a subtle addition to those scenes. Right. It would be a Moana scene. It would be a Hercules scene. When I first heard you say that, which was probably two years ago, right? I'm not going to say I agreed with it. That might be a little too strong, but I didn't disagree <laughs> with it either. It seemed like a reasonable idea to me. It made sense. Your logic hit me as being sound. Um, Occasionally that happens. <laughs> but I think it makes less sense now. Not, not, because, not because of anything that you said has changed, but because Epcot has changed. Um, yeah, you know, no, that's fair. That's fair. I think that honestly, Tomorrowland, the the different, the distinction between Tomorrowland and what the area formerly known as Future World has never been less. So I still maintain it as a better fit in World Celebration, which is what it would be. Yeah, which is where it would be than its current home in Fantasyland. That that would be the argument that I would make. But I also agree that as they have shifted the themes of Epcot. It makes it makes less sense than it did two years ago when the yeah. idea was first introduced. I, to me. I'll tell you what I would love. I mean, the one thing, uh, you know, Carousel of Progress is, and I've I've complained about this with Soren. It is sort of the least viable implementation of what I would call a ride. I mean, yes, you are moving technically. It's a show. It, it but it's a show, and I but it's a show that you could you could wrap an Omnimover around it and have that be the first scene of Spaceship Earth. I mean, there's there's definitely, I would love to see that integrated into something bigger 
because I think it deserves something bigger. It's one of the few things that Walt had a hand in that's still left. I think that it has survived the test of time much better than Tiki Room has, for example. <laughs> um, and I think, I think it should be preserved just for that. I would love while Tim has the 18 wheelers out moving. It's a small world over. They bring over carousel progress as well. And that's the new post-show area to spaceship earth. You actually can't leave the spaceship earth post-show section without going on carousel progress. <laughs> the, um, I, I mean, actually the think original... I got confused there. I was talking about carousel progress. So my, my mistake, I apologize. The original logic of carousel of progress was that it was the same family, the same storyline as horizons. horizons. Yeah. So, I mean, when we were going full on blue sky, nerding out Imagineering caught fanboys, that was the suggestion. You bring back a, you, you find a new take for horizons and you put carousel of progress in it. Um, yeah. I think when we started this show, that was the example of the ridiculous scenario that we're not going to propose. So let's see a dozen episodes later, we'll get into it, but <laughs> to, uh, to the point of maybe having a choose your own destination ending, they do that currently, and it's a lousy implementation of it. Um, but there's talk on this refurbishment that it's going to be a lengthy refurbishment that may be a rebuild of the entire ride system. Excuse me. And we know that the uh, vehicles, like uh, any Omnimover, can rotate a full 360 degrees. In theory, they could utilize uh, a setup similar to the old school Horizons finale, uh, some combination of that and say like the... Uh, forbidden journey um, uh, dome screens that could effectively wrap in front of the vehicles that rotate uh, outward or inward towards it. Uh, that's all totally realistic. Should they decide to do that for a descent and be it like video based, excuse me, where you do choose your own destination and it doesn't necessarily need to be Bravo Centauri, Mesa Verde, Sea Castle Resort, but it could be uh, an alternative to the jib jab sequence or uh, actually having vignettes uh, along the sides. But just th there are a, a multitude of options for how they can treat the descent. I'm not 100% against uh, Ben's idea either, and I know that's a good endorsement for you, Ben. But the, the idea of maybe we don't look towards the future, uh, and not necessarily because it's an impossible thing to keep current with, but it's just maybe the the focus of the attraction shifts. And if it's about storytelling or if it's about innovators, pick your poison there and say, all right, we are having stories being told to us by some of the greatest storytellers of all time, something like that. Uh, maybe you have uh, a similar setup like you do over an American adventure with somebody like Mark Twain telling a story to you at the end of it uh, for a little bit. And then you have another story, like another author come in and, and tell you a story. I don't, I don't know. I'm throwing out ideas. I'm not an Imagineer. We just play one on the podcast. So, right. I mean, th these are all, different takes that they could that they could go on this. Um, I don't know if we've discussed the idea on this show about the using the Horizons concept of those three future destinations, Bravo Centauri, Mesa Verde, and Sea Castle Resort, as kind of a way to integrate all of what is now Future World and perhaps spreading those out because we almost have those in things like Mission Space. You could put in the destination not being Mars, but Bravo Centauri. Uh, the Seas of Nemo and Friends. If you remove the IP, you could have that be a trip to Mesa, uh, to uh, Sea Castle Resort. Or Living with the Land could be a uh, redone with a trip to Mesa Verde. All of those things could kind of integrate it towards a, um, a Horizons-esque future where we've created fictitious colonies in space or under under the sea or uh, out in the desert. All of yeah, those I mean, things are all 
possibilities. That, that to me is a far more respectable homage to those than, you know, just cramming them in with a throwaway scene uh, on the descent. And I wouldn't make any of that the focus of it by any means. Mission Space, you'd still, um, you still have the, the launch as kind of the most exciting portion of that attraction. But if you have a destination being something other than, you know, a real planet, maybe go Bravo Centauri. Yeah, I think I think the problem. I mean, this is a little off topic, and I didn't mean to interrupt. But you know, I think the biggest problem with Mission Space is not the technology. I mean, you know, by having the green and the orange, I think they've largely addressed the issue with sickness. Um, the problem is that the story is not compelling at all as it currently exists. Um, you know, it's just sort of corny and cheap. Yeah. And and I think that your suggestion would be worthwhile because it could actually, you know, you have there has to be you know there's a, there's a a common notion in storytelling there has to be stakes right you have to have you have to make the reader care or the viewer mm-hmm. care in this case and, and what is the what is the viewers or the you know the the guest real interest i mean not dying i guess by falling <laughs> off the cliff at the end but i mean that's that's pretty that's pretty low-hanging fruit you know but the to actually imagine someone being able to to get on a rocket and, and imagine what their life would be like if they could go up to you know a space station and live in space that's very different excuse me sorry i don't know if it's long enough bless you to have the to to have those true you know beats of of a a resolution there it is a it's intended to be a thrill ride it was intended to be a gate busting attraction when they created it and we talked about this on the last show that i don't really begrudge them for replacing horizons in the well the the effort didn't hit what they wanted it to but the the objective there was to replace it with like the next thing that's going to be cloned and put all around the world. Um, they right. they thought they had a home run here, and they didn't. And really, Mission Space is it's probably somebody's favorite attraction. It's a average D ticket attraction that I think for a lot of people just kind of rounds out their day. Oh, I'm sure it's someone's favorite. I was list, I was on Twitter the other day list of reading people talk about how Club Cool was their favorite thing at Epcot and how it's a tragedy uh, that it's gone. And it's just you unbelievable. read my tweet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I do want to address the one thing you said about the length. You know, yeah, I feel yeah. like that's what the pre-show is for. And the one thing that Mission Space is absolutely completely missing is a post-show of any meaningful description whatsoever. It kind of has like the kitty area, but it hasn't been updated. That a tra- open in 2003 but it's primarily a hallway I mean, that's, yeah yeah that's fair. you know uh and soren can get away with that it doesn't really matter i mean it sort of ironically ties into the actual theming of it that you're flying <laughs> right, a, right. a hang guy glider slash aircraft of some description but um yeah i, I think there's up i think you could you could rejigger missions a lot of what we talk about on the show is you know, would concern a massive financial investment and tremendous downtime. And I think Mission Space, for all of its problems, is something that could be fixed relatively cheaply and easy, uh, you know, just by changing the narrative. With with Mission Space, I'm not sure that that's the case. I don't know that the ride system is enough to get people interested in in that type of attraction. And I think, in part, it's because they've done different versions of simulators that accomplish the same thing. Now, having said that, uh, there are times where you can go on Mission Space and it is fun. If you're in a group of four people who all know each other, you can give each other crap. But that's also a function of like you making the most out of something. And sure. uh, alcohol alcohol also helps in a situation. Yep. But uh, I, I do like going on that with uh, with a kid for the first time because it is 
it's a pseudo interactive thing with no real ramifications, but you can kind of put the undue pressure on them. We're saying, if you don't press that button, we're not going to Mars or, or we're not going around the earth or whatever the uh, mission you're taking that time. To this day, my wife, if the right thing comes on TV, will tell me about what a good job she did slingshotting us around the moon. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's tongue in cheek and she's being somewhat sarcastic, but nonetheless, it made a memory that makes us both laugh and smile. So, And I think we all have those types of lines and my favorite, not necessarily a, a line that was in the show was what, what Penn's father did to his mother over on <laughs> Alien Encounter. Um, and oh. I think you've shared that story on here, but if not, tell it again. Uh, about when the lights would go out, we would oh, yeah. uh, sit around my mom on uh, Alien Encounter and we would touch her face with our fingers. And <laughs> it was years that she thought that was a real physical effect on the attraction. And we uh, <laughs> uh, just the tears rolling down our face when we finally broke the news to her that that was us every time doing that to her. So, uh, yeah, it was That's greatness. the long con and I love it. And I yep. mean, to that, to that point, say hi to your mom for me. <laughs> <laughs> Keep your fingers off my you. mom. <laughs> Marie and I were watching, uh, there's a documentary on the San Diego zoo that we were watching and they use the term thermal image. That's the only term. That's the term that they used. And I said, uh, in my perfect test track, uh, narrator voice, now that they're heated up, let's grab a thermal image. And she knew exactly <laughs> what I was talking about. And it's dumb and it's not, actually funny but it was funny to us so i get yep. that i get that um do we have anything else on john's question or should we move on uh, the only I thing have, I, oh go ahead go ahead okay i i had one last thought which is uh we, you were talking about the set and using the wraparound you know whether you enclose the vehicle to do a screen or whether you project it or whatever yeah uh, you know there's some options there the one thing i, I did want to mention and this somewhat contradicts what i said earlier i think spaceship earth is somewhat unique and that I would say, generally speaking, the ride system is just, you know, it's one, pa one paint or brush and the artist's toolbox. But Spaceship Earth is such a unique structure that I think it'd be a shame to not play to that strength. You know, do, you know exploit that uniqueness. Use it in some way, because most people are never going to be in a building like that anywhere else in their entire life. Yeah, no, that's, that's a fair point. And right now, they're not currently doing that. No, nope. um, turn not, the light. Yeah, make it dark. <laughs> I'm not sure that they ever really took full advantage of that on the descent. To be honest, I mean they've they'd have smaller sequences, but you do have a, an interesting effect there currently. The way that the vehicle rotates, where you're going backwards, uh, you're spiraling backwards. You granted it's slowly, but it's still something you generally don't experience in a ride yep. for that yep. long amount of time. So. Yep. Yeah, and my thing I was going to talk about kind of touches on that as well. It goes, uh, you know, at the very top of the planetarium scene. Uh, a lot of people, you know, want to see Space Mountain with the lights on or, or the Haunted Mansion with the lights on. I've always wanted to see what that space looked like illuminated and yeah. how, how large that room is. And I think technology is advanced with the with the different things they do uh you know with the projection mapping on the, on the castle thing I, there's so, so many things you could do in that room to really show off the size and depth uh and, and let people convey how just large that area is that you're seeing in there so i would love to i, I love as how it is right now but uh i think there is a some great opportunity to do some really cool stuff up there to update the attraction it's a small thing but the timing of Judy Dench saying on this, our spaceship earth has yep. been off for 12 years. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it's been off by about a second or so. And perhaps it's the voice, but I think primarily it's the timing as a mediocre lover. I can attest to the fact that timing matters <laughs> on, uh, uh, on the previous Jeremy Irons version. I would get goosebumps on a regular occasion yep. when, oh, yeah. when, oh, yeah. when it turned into place and that and that hit with the with the dialogue and i i don't get that on that version because the timing is off slightly 
Yeah, and no, that's I a agree big 100%. thing. That's a that's a it's a big subtle thing, and it really shouldn't take us to say something like that. It shouldn't be that difficult to fix a one second timing thing. Yep, I mean that Jeremy Irons version just in general nailed it. Mm-hmm. It it got the feels down, and they that was a downgrade. There are there are certain upgrades. There are certainly upgrades in the Judy Dench version. The improvements to the animatronics are great. Can't really argue with that. I think the script is dumbed down, but I think the actual visuals up to that point are better on the Judy Dench version because the animatronics have all been updated. Well, I was re- and- I was referring mainly to the narrate the narration okay, itself, fair. but yeah, yeah. And on the narration side, I think Chris Pratt doing a Peter Quill uh, narrator on the updated version is gonna be fine. That should be good. Should should That'd definitely be, be good. Yep. We're going to have him narrate everything, actually. Yep. But we're going to have him do it as the character from Parks and Rec. <laughs> instead, instead of uh, Peter Kronika. Yeah, he's going to fall into the pit. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> I fell into the pit. Shall we move on to our next question? Yes. We this better. One. We'll be here for four hours. <laughs> this one comes to Thank us. Thank you, John. <laughs> from, uh, from, from Chris Corson. Uh, Chris says, guys, at what price point would you be willing to pay to stay at the new Star Wars hotel, whatever the name is? Do you think the per night cost will be difficult to justify when compared to, let's say, a per night cost in the Disney Cruise Line? Josh, what do you think? What are you willing to pay for this? (laughs) Well, I'm a I'm a non I'm not a real hardcore fan of Star Wars to begin with. I don't have anything against the franchise, but it's not really my cup of tea and I have no kids. So what about the porn parody uh, Star Wars? Are you a hardcore fan of that? If it were Spaceballs or Star Wars, I'd be all in. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, Would you be balls deep? I mean, I would expect from based on what I've heard, you know, the anticipated room night's going to be several thousand dollars for a couple of nights. Probably that, that's going to be an order of magnitude more than I'm willing to pay. You know, I'm probably in. I, would I pay 200 bucks to go see it? Yeah, that's not going to happen. I will, however, crash your room and poop in your toilet once you get a room there. So <laughs> that's my game plan. We call that going full Gary Hall. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Ben, what would you uh, be willing to pay for it? Gah, uh, you're talking again, similar to a guy who will stay at Pop Century or a uh, cheap condo off property, so I can get two or three extra days in the parks. So I, I'm not, you know, interested in spending my entire trip budget on two days sure. uh, for this experience. So, granted, based on how the uh, attendance has been at both uh, Disneyland and, and uh, Hollywood Studios with Galaxy's Edge uh, opening, I'm, I'm guessing at the several thousand dollar a night. Uh, a package price point. Nobody's going to be staying here. So I'll wait till it drops under a thousand dollars. And if it ever got below that, yeah, I'd I'd figure out, you know, a way to do it, but I just don't see the amenities or the dinner show, whatever they're going to add to it that can justify uh, getting in there, you know, taking the bus, you know, the, 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 the cool uh, virtual bus type deal. That's going to get you into the backside of galaxy's edge. And then probably some access to the two attractions. I just don't know if that's going to be worth the dollars that they're going to do the the i just don't see the hotel being loaded with characters and interactions for you to do uh if anything we've seen they've gone cheap on the lands with those kind of things so they're probably going to over promise to get the bookings up real high to begin with yeah. but then when people get there they're going to find out that they're going to check in at the front desk go to their room they're going to have a cool digital screen that makes it look like they're going to space they'll go have dinner then they'll take the bus over to uh Galaxy's Edge ride the ride a couple times and it won't justify anywhere near close what is being promised, uh, especially at that current price point. Yeah, I agree with that. I think you look at 
unfortunately they've there's been such a hatchet job done to entertainment budgets and this is primarily an entertainment based experience yes you're paying for a for a bed to sleep on but effectively this has been sold to us as a live action role playing thing for 2 days and if that's pared down at all uh i certainly want to hear firsthand experiences from it i'm uh, i've zero interest in doing this day 1 it's not a situation where i'm going to have a fear of missing out because i didn't get to do it right away it's certainly going to be something where if people start doing it and they say that whatever it is a thousand two thousand a night uh is worth it because it is fully interactive and if you are a star wars fan it's a must do i'm i'm more of a casual star wars fan uh i i think perhaps more so than than josh maybe not as much as ben but even then, that price point is going to be daunting. And I'm sure that they haven't, they've probably talked internally rough numbers, but they certainly haven't nailed down a price point on this yet. They're two years out, if not. Well, I can get it on Orbits for 59, I'm in. Yeah, I don't think we're <laughs> going to get that. I think you look at, I mean, the logical, although somewhat arbitrary uh, price would be 1000 per person, double occupancy. Um, but I suspect it'll be higher than that. Well, and they say they're taking the kind of uh, cruise line model here. Yeah. Uh, and we, we go on cruises all the time. We cruise Norwegian a bunch and wonderful ships, huge ships, not cheap ships. But when you get on those boats, you know, you still have to pay for your alcohol a lot of times. You have to, if it, you know, the, the yeah. new Norwegian ships we go on, they have a go-karts. Uh, they have laser tag. It's $10 per person per experience on those things. So at this price point, Disney's putting out there, you know, and, and people are reporting that it could be, you know, a lot of us are probably thinking it's like an all ex- all-inclusive type situation. I don't see it being that at all. I think that's your price to have the experience to be there, but it will not shock me at all. Once you get inside, there's upcharges on top of that all over the place. So it wouldn't surprise me either. And it would be laughable if it is because they know it will. this is fixed that like, are people not going to get dinner there? If this is all supposed to be all inclusive, you're going to want to go to dinner there. And the way that it'll be structured is that you'll only have people staying at the hotel that are part of this two day story going to that dinner. Yep. But I could see them not lumping that into the cost. Yep. Well, I mean, with $200 lightsabers, $100 robots, the prices throughout Galaxy's Edge, it's that's going to carry over to this hotel. And if you want to do the cool little side story that might be in one section of the hotel, it's going to, it's not going to be part of your package. I just, I don't think it will end up being that way. Uh, I think, you know, we all hope that it would be, especially with what they're going to charge to do it. But that's, that's not the MO of Disney's current regime and and people in power right now. That's they're squeezing every single dollar they can out of people. And I think they'll think of the mentality of, Hey, if they're already paying this price to stay here, they've got the money to do whatever we want them to, you know, pay to do the other stuff here as well. I could see it being having an a la carte component to it, which in itself is silly. I mean, the cruise line model is the most logical approach to take to this. But what's also laughable, too, is you go on the Disney cruise line and this is going to be me going on a random jag. You go to the movie theater there and they charge you the five bucks for popcorn. Yeah. Everything else on the on the ship is included. But no, that popcorn, that's where our overhead goes. And we need to make sure we get you on that. It really is kind of silly. But in in this, I would hope that they do it all inclusive. That's the logical thing. But I, I fear that that Ben is right here. And considering the cuts to things that we were shown in concept art and uh, narration from Imagineers, uh, it's hard to anticipate what will be there on opening day. I mean, I could see them charging that full price and then adding more components to it later. 
and then you get screwed if you go in those first first year or two. So if Galaxy's Edge were making money hand over fist and that place was packed and the rest of the parks were packed, I do think this would have had a shot at being all inclusive. Mm-hmm. But because of the you know shortfalls on both coasts with this, they're already looking at the next you know the the next things that they can draw blood from a stone from, and uh, it's going to be that hotel because the people that are going to be staying there are going to have the money to do it. That they, they they know their audience. They know those are going to be the super rich, the the one percenters that go to Disney World that don't bat an eye. At a lot of things. So sure, you know, what would have been all inclusive before now, let's get an extra few hundred dollars per person per uh, stay here out of them to help, you know, uh, come up with some of the shortfalls in the other areas. The flip side to this is it is it's expected to be uh, very low capacity for a hotel. But when you're only when you're limiting it to two night stays, that may also be a self-solving problem where say it only has a hundred rooms and I don't know what the number is. I probably got it written down somewhere, but say it only has a hundred rooms. If these people are going there for two nights and two nights only, they're staying elsewhere for the remainder of their trip. And uh, you're just cycling more and more people in there as part of their four or five, seven day trip. So I don't know what the price point is going to be, but I would be surprised if it is under $3,000 a night for a room because they expect double occupancy. That what I just heard come out of your mouth is that there's going to be a bunch of insane people pretending to be in Star Wars, paying God yeah. uh, insane amounts of money. That's just crazy but, to me. But what if this is a spectacular failure? I mean, what? What? <laughs> this is nobody think of a what if right now. Exa- is, exactly. That that's will, a real scary realization at this right now. That they could have like four rooms booked a night. Based on you know nobody wanting to do any of this stuff right now, they end up hot gluing all the props from the uh, unbuilt part of the like uh, uh, what's it called the where Pop Century is now or the the unbuilt <laughs> part of Pop Century like the Golden Years whatever that part of the it is animation. there a, that's is there part of animation now but yes yeah that's what I was going for is there a chance this never gets built the way it's described right now oh absolutely always a chance so it's done at, at this point. I think nothing is off the table because we we expected a 14 acre land devoted to Star Wars to be uh, to be fail safe. And so did Disney to the extent that they thought that the uh, anchor attraction of uh, Smuggler's Run was enough to have them cut entertainment and that they didn't have to do anything. They didn't have to have equity performers at their two hundred dollar a lightsaber sales pitch. Um, they they cut all of those things because they thought that it was uh, a guaranteed hit no matter what they did. And they were wrong. And their marquee attraction uh, that's coming in December is, by all accounts, it sounds like it's going to be an amazing experience. However, it might also have the Hagrid's treatment where it might not have uh, full operational efficiency for the first six months that it's operating. Um, and if that's the case, yes, it could be uh, wildly successful from just a purely objective, this is a great ride standpoint. But if it can only get through 800 people an hour, then it's not going to really do much to move the needle attendance wise either. So in that respect, we talked about this a few, a uh, few months ago about how Hagrid's is a failure wrapped in a success. And uh, it's, it's a success creatively a failure operationally at the outset, but ultimately it'll just be a success creatively. And you'd rather have that comparatively uh, star Wars land has 
a successful operations uh, rollout, but uh, creatively it's incomplete at best because we're missing one of the attractions and you cut down the entertainment. So uh, we're going to talk about that later on as to perhaps what we might do to, uh, to heal that. But in this case, if, if the, the reality of the star Wars land, not doing as well as expected is purely star Wars fatigue and nothing else, not to do with the quality of the land, then they're screwed because they've invested a billion dollars in both coasts, plus whatever the hotel costs in this. And that's going to be a sunk cost if they, if they don't get any return on it, if people are just sick of star Wars and that very well could be the reality. Yeah. And on that happy note, <laughs> we, this is an interesting question that we got uh, from, from uh, Keith white. Uh, it's not something that we really talk about that much on here. Ben, you may have stayed at one of these. Uh, is there an aspect of the Disney parks you could bring over to other Disney properties like Vero Beach and Hilton Head? Uh, those are the other DVC locations um, that aren't uh, attached to a Disney park. Have you been to either of those? I have not been to either of those, but this question did make me think, though, of the, you know, at one point, the rumored uh, one-off hotel attraction sites that Disney yeah, had kicked yeah, around, exactly. which I was a huge fan of that idea. Uh, you know, I think we all have grown up in an area of the country where we've heard the rumors that Disney's bought a bunch of land and they're going to build a theme park, you know, near you, which was never true for the, you know, vast majority <laughs> of everything, all those rumors. But I have always thought that the idea of a Disney resort with one or two attractions built onto it, uh, whether it be classic attractions coming from the parks or original ideas was a great idea. Uh, and, and you could hit some of the major, uh, uh, metropolises. And I say that's a great idea, but then you look at things like, you know, the, the Disney quest in Chicago uh, and some of the other one-off uh, restaurant attractions and things like that. They built and none of them have ever, you know, done well whatsoever. But uh, you know, the, the, I've always been a fan of staying at a Disney resort whenever I can uh, would have loved to have that opportunity around here. So that, that this question made me think of, you know, how cool it would be to, to put a Disney level, uh, resort with one ride to kind of give people who aren't, you know, in Orlando or Los Angeles, uh, Anaheim area, uh, the ability to, 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 you know, wet that whistle every once in a while when they need their little Disney fix. Do you yeah. think a ride is the approach? The, the thought that I had was that, a that rotating stage shows might work better simply because you need a little bit more creative freedom. Po- so that you don't possibly, but you know, I, I think if there was a, uh, a, a London themed hotel here in Dallas that had uh Peter Pan's flight attached okay. to it and a Peter Pan restaurant. Yeah, I would go and we'd probably go, you know, it'd, it'd be in a regular rotation for us to get away for a little weekend trip to, to have some fun. You know, we have things here like a great wolf lodges. They're, they're all over the yeah, country, th- things like that. And they are appealing to families, especially who live in those areas to have those short getaway trips. Uh, we hit those things. And so I think Disney could definitely play on that same level with some of the competitors that are already out there. All right. So I'm going to beat you both with this answer. Okay. Boom. Is it, are you moving into small world there? Yeah, <laughs> no, not far off though. Okay. Um, I'm going to tie this back to the previous question. Okay. What Disney should have done is built the Star Wars Hotel off property at one of okay. these other locations. Because to me, there's two problems here. And I'm, I'm going to approach this from two angles. First, why I would never go to any existing Disney resort that is not at a theme park. And two, why they should have done what I just said. The first thing is, when I go to 
when I I've stayed on property a total of one time, and it was in the contemporary on my honeymoon. It's something I've wanted to stay in the contemporary since I was a little kid. And I decided that when I got married for the second time that I was absolutely going to splurge and do it. Where did and, your wife stay, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> Dick. <laughs> <laughs> and here's the reality of it. I would say contemporary excluded. There's no Disney hotel that I care to stay at because quite frankly, the things that I look at look for in a resort um, are not things that I consider to be particularly good at. And those two things being providing, you know, top tier lodging and two, providing excellent food. Um, Disney World sucks at food. And most of if you actually just take the room in isolation and, you know, extract the fact that you're on property or that there's a monorail going through the hotel, they are mediocre at best, in my opinion. So to me, what you have to do is bring some of the attributes of a theme park to those, uh, you know, more remote uh, resort locations in order for them to be compelling. And to me, something like Star Wars, where it's an experience, it's a, you know, the problem with an attraction is that you end up with sort of a weird Pigeon Forge Ripley kind of experience, I think, where the fact that it's just one thing right. is to some degree, it's just, it doesn't work. I don't think because it's, it's somewhat polarizing and I don't mean that in the way that we normally use the word, but it's just like, it's going to appeal to a very narrow group of people that are into that one attraction. I want to ride it 50 times while they're there, you know, maybe a rebuild horizons there or something and, and, you know, uh, appeal to this nostalgic crowd. I don't know, but there's just something to me that I think there's a theme park like experience is what you want to tap into. I think, if you go attractions, it's difficult just because of the budget involved. You're going to naturally constrain yourself to how many you can have. But if you right. do it as an experience type of thing, you know, like which, which is what Star Wars is, you A, you get the benefit of offering something that's unique and differentiated from anyone else, which is a plus. And two, you, you resolve the problem that people who are going to be paying $3,000 a night at Walt Disney World are facing, which is that you, you are essentially drawing people into this resort that has you know, 27,000 acres of things to do. I'm using that term a little liberally there. Um, and there's just, there's so much competition for their time that I feel like if you're spending all the time at ho the hotel, you feel as though you're squandering the fact that you're at Walt Disney World. And if you're spending your time in the parks, you feel like you've wasted your money by spending $3,000 a night for a resort hotel. So to me, this was, a, they solved this problem, but they built the damn thing in the wrong place. It's an interesting suggestion, and I don't know how much or how important the land integration will be from that experience. We don't know that because they haven't really put out an itinerary yet. But to that greater point, um, if that experience can take place without the actual rides, that might make it where a situation like this, these DVC properties elsewhere around the country, or around the world, are more logical to be perhaps a single theme. Uh, whether it be a single IP or just a single theme as the um, overarching right. approach to it. Now, uh, the Star Wars hotel is only a two or three night experience. I think I think it's two nights, three days, uh, as opposed to the opposite, which doesn't make much sense. Um, so I think for an, a more extended uh, week-long stay, that might be a little bit tougher. Or perhaps they integrate it where part of the trip includes that, but not the entirety of it. Um, and it's, it's why I'd shy away and don't get me wrong. I'd love to go to a hotel and have, you know, my favorite ride in the backyard of the hotel with no weight, but something, most of these rides are 10 minutes or less. And is that going to be enough to really satisfy or entertain people for, 
a significant amount of time, not, not rewriting it's, it's, the same. It's thing. a little bit like giving someone one Dorito. You know, you might say, well, I love Doritos. That would be great. But the problem is you eat one and now you want more. You're, you're more pissed off than if you had none. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I don't know what the total solution is. I, I threw out, treat them like the, uh, the cruise ships where you have theme nights, uh, more characters are kind of a way to do it. Um, and I, I did say a rotating nightly stage show, but I think the, um, people, if people are going to the Vero Beach Resort or the Hilton Head Resort, they're probably there to do other things that aren't necessarily Disney. It's probably like, I want to use my Disney Vacation Club uh, membership to go to a place that is less Disneyfied. So there may, there may be a focus on deliberately not having it be uh, totally controlled by Mickey Mouse. Yeah, I, I think you're probably exactly right there, though. Part of me has to wonder then why bother? Yeah, no, that's fair. You know, and and I mean, the answer is probably money. I mean, maybe these things generate a lot of revenue and profit. I don't know. But it seems to me that they're either, this is just perhaps ignorance on my part, but it seems that if they're intentionally trying to not be Disney-like, that are they diluting their brand? Um, And if they are trying to be Disney-like, it seems like they're not doing a great job of it. So I, these have always struck me as being sort of strange. I mean, I remember back when I was a young kid and I, I admit this when I went to Epcot, it did bother me that I wasn't at magic kingdom. I'm like, this isn't what I consider to be Disney. Um, you know, and it ended up being my favorite park over time, but nonetheless, there was did some you feel sort that it of became more Disney, more timeless. Say that again. I'm sorry. D- did you feel that it became more timeless and more Disney? <laughs> I think it became more, more neglected and more Disney. <laughs> uh, but if you took me, if you told me as a nine-year-old that you were taking me to a, to Disney anything, and you took me to the Hilton Head Resort, I'd be very angry with you. Um, you know, there's nothing about it that really strikes me as being uh, Disney. I, I have to say, I'm a bit surprised actually that these properties even are still in the Disney portfolio. Uh, yeah, that's probably fair. We let me brag here a little bit <clears throat> as the <laughs> Disney Vacation Club member on this show. Uh, I got the Suck card air. to prove it. Uh, did you just blow air I, on your nails and just rub them against your chest? I did. I did. <laughs> hey, sometimes, someday I'll take y'all upstairs at imagination. Ooh, okay. Be, yeah. Laugh now. Laugh now. Are you going to uh, be down there on the 30th with Tim and I? <laughs> uh, is there room on the couch? Yes. Cool. Right um, <laughs> Uh, you know, when we, when, when my family bought in, um, Vero beach and Hilton head were, very new at that time. And that was a big selling point was Disney saying, we're going to open more resorts like this all over the world. But the only other one that, you know, ended up going in was Alani, which had a whole different really reason behind putting that in there. It's, it's not like they hit the, uh, the travel markets in the United States all over the country. There's not, you know, throughout the panhandle of Florida, there's not another one. There's not, uh, you know, ones in, in, in off Disneyland property, California, this and that they just didn't end up building any more, off-property DVC resorts and made them a, a very big focal point. So I just, I, I, we've never had the thought of using our points there, uh, mainly because using your points at a Disney resort like that, that's off property are way more expensive than just finding your own hotel room on Hilton head Island and, and getting something comparable at a much cheaper rate and then saving those points for your Disney, you know, theme park trips. But, um, it, it has always surprised me that they kept those in there in, in the portfolio because they've never expanded on that idea uh, outside of those two resorts and, and doing that anywhere else, which makes me tend to believe that maybe they're not the most successful resorts uh, that they've you know ever built and ran. 
they're probably keeping them in their portfolio because they're contractually obligated to do so. And that's probably, probably. the only reason. Yep. That's, yep. that's probably the only reason. Um, do we have anything else on this one or, uh, can, can Josh and I talk about vacation planning together? Well, I'm going to go over here and talk about my universal trip in November by myself. So you okay. two talk Disney. I'll talk universal. Feel free <laughs> to let's go. Okay. <laughs> Hagrid. So let's go. Um, <laughs> the mute button. It's the one on the bottom left. Oh, my, my bad. My bad. <laughs> so, uh, Josh, you and I have been kind of talking about going and saying a farewell to illuminations. Well, since they announced that it was going away and, uh, it's not, it's, Sounds like it's going to shape up. It sounds like you got your flight in order, uh, car in order. So uh, we'll be able to hold hands and shed single tears uh, as Illuminations goes away. And we welcome in the uh, permanent uh, for seven months Epcot forever. I look forward to wiping the tear out of your eyes that final (laughs) as we look over the lagoon. Will you be holding hands? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. I mean, the timing worked out um, with the Skyliner opening, the transition from Illuminations to Epcot Forever, um, and get the opening of Galaxy's Edge. It's a good opportunity both to go down there and have a nice vacation, but I also was thinking that, uh, you know, in the spirit of the show, it's an opportunity to imagine, since neither of us have ever really done it, if we were Imagineers who had been, uh, you know, involved in the development of these new attractions and, and lands, uh, what would we go in and look at as we as we watch them open? And because we always hear about tweak and adjust periods and everything, and obviously that happens. You know, even the best laid plans will not be perfect. There's going to be things you didn't anticipate and guests that you know. Walt famously said people walk through the sure. a planter and they needed to move a path. You know, there, there's all of those sorts of things. That just I thought it might be fun to go down there and just sort of imagine we were in that role and and uh, you know think about what would we be looking for, what would we be evaluating, and how would we try and tweak that and make it better so that that's kind of what i'm looking forward to doing so some of these things and we may we're probably going to look at this a little bit further especially on epcot forever and the skyliner after the trip because we haven't experienced them yep i've been able to experience galaxy's edge over in disneyland so i have some thoughts on that and i think i've even articulated them on this show but with epcot forever the this is without question an interim show this is something that they're putting in there uh, we talked about it earlier. Josh, you even said it. Do you really want a long-term solution that is pretty much pandering to a certain demographic? Uh, and that's that's what this sounds like it's going to be. And don't get me wrong. I'm in that demographic. I love that idea. Yeah. But I recognize that that has, that has a shelf life. So something like Epcot Forever, we could go and see it and ultimately say, all right, this show is great seeing it once or twice, but what else you got? It's going to be gone in six to nine months anyway. I don't know right. that that's one that's going to need a substantial tweak and adjust. Um, did you have, and unless you, unless you disagree with that. Well, what I'm primarily curious about is trying to, is learning something about what it is about illuminations that causes it to be such a touching experience. And I could point to, I have a couple of hypotheses, Um, The music being one, the the soundtrack to that show is very, very good. Um, And that obviously is going to change with this. But there are other things that are going to stay the same. For example, the setting being the big one. Right. You know, is being around that lagoon, is the scenery in the background, is the just the grandness of that setting uh, part of what contributes to the uh, impressiveness of it? And, and what are they going to do in this new show to play off of that? So that I, I'm very curious to see my own 
whether I have a visceral reaction to it. Um, I'm glad that you're going to be there so that we can sort of see each other's reaction and talk about it. <laughs> and I want to look around, you know, there's something about being there that you can never get, you know, by watching it on a YouTube channel, which is just getting a sense of what the emotion is amongst most of the the visitors there. So th- that's what I want to see is, is this something that, because if it truly is pandering, um, it probably won't have the compelling, you know, forcefulness that, that illuminations does. So that, that's the biggest thing I'm interested in is, does this, it, it's one thing to be pandered to and know it, but this is going to be so good that I that I that it actually transcend the fact that I know you're just sort of trying to make me cry. I think that it will be. Um, as I said I, th- I think it's very much going to be hitting on old music, so uh, it's going to be playing up the past and be doing, and it, it'll do so for that short run. And for that reason, I think they can get away with playing up the music that you're person going to Epcot for the first time doesn't know or doesn't really care about. But I also expect it to be fireworks heavy. I think it's going to be enough pyro where you don't necessarily have even a true story component Mm -hmm. to it. I think it's just going to be this is a best of type uh, uh, show of Epcot Center circa, you know, 1988 or something like that. So let me ask you that on that point. Do you think it will be laser heavy? Uh, First off, they're called pew pews. (laughs) They have the infrastructure, and they're probably less expensive than Pyro. So I could see them using a lot of that existing infrastructure as they build in a more technical foundation that's going to be in Harmonious. Um, I, I expect, and not to not answer your question, I expect Harmonious to be substantially more technologically advanced than this, um, and I expect Harmonious to be very pretty to look at. I don't know if it's going to be something I want to listen to. Uh, in the case yeah. of this, at least it's going to be, all right, this is classic music that brings back childhood memories. Um, so if nothing else, the one time that I'll likely be able to see this in person, I will I will relish those childhood memories uh, accompanied by fireworks. Right, so so I'm going to do another what if at you here. Okay. Uh, or, or, or do you think? Do you think that I try when, not to? What, <laughs> me too. <laughs> show over. Um, do you think that when we show up there on the first, that the torches will be gone? Uh, the torches, I'm going to guess, won't be gone, but will not be illuminated. That's okay. my guess. Okay. Interesting. Um, that was really all the questions I had there. I agree. I don't think there's a whole <laughs> lot of tweaking. Adjust- I mean, the show will either work or it won't, right? I mean, they're, they're either going to have technical snafus or they won't. And I certainly hope that they won't because I'm only probably going to get one opportunity to see it. Um, I've yeah. said a few different, I've said a few different times that I'm fearful for Epcot's future. And I think that there was reason to be optimistic based on the 2019 D23 Expo. But the biggest thing for me is Reflections of Earth was Epcot for me. Uh, I like Reflections of Earth better than any attraction in that park, better than Spaceship Earth, better than Soren, better than Test Track, better than World Showcase. Uh, I, I liked Reflections of Earth better than any attraction in that park. And that has me incredibly fearful of harmonious because they've outright said that it's going to involve character integration. And yeah, I, I know that there are ways that they can do it where it makes a little bit of sense, but if it's uh, still an ensemble of uh, Disney movie music, as opposed to an original score and uh, it, it comes off as like a version of Fantasmic or happily ever after great shows, not the right park for it though. 
Right. Well, I mean, we've said on a couple occasions that this Epcot Forever show might very well be the eulogy for Epcot that we've all right. been, you know, right. expecting. Um, for me, I, I love Illuminations. I think it is a, I think it is a brilliant work of art, and that's how mm -hmm. I say it's performance art. You know, every night they create this amazing uh, piece of artwork in my mind. But to me, I think Spaceship Earth is really, you know, figuratively and literally the icon of that park. Yeah. Uh, to me, it, it, there's a lot of sentiment there, and I have trouble saying that a show is a park for me. I hear what you're saying, but at the same time, it's so ephemeral. You know, it just, it doesn't exist <laughs> when it's not going on. Whereas at least Space to despite what condition it might be in, at least it's there all the time. No, I, and I so. understand the sentiment and I understand that I'm probably, I don't want to say unique in, in my thought process there, but it is what my thought process is. Yeah. Uh, if we're, if we're boiling it down to favorite rides, probably spaceship earth. Uh, but for me, um, if I don't get on spaceship earth, on a night that I'm going over to see Illuminations, I, I'm if I if I have a choice of one or the other, I'm seeing Illuminations. That's, yeah, I get that. Th that's kind of my decision process. So, um, Ben, I don't know if you had any thoughts on Epcot Forever. If uh, I don't think you're going to be able to see it when you go in November, is that correct? And after Doctor Doom Fear Falls, we're going to ride Spider Man. And after Spider Man, <laughs> we're going to head over to K what? Oh, hey, uh, sorry. Uh, no, I. I my last time seeing Illuminations was on my last trip this summer. Saw it a couple times. Unfortunately, it's not my fa uh, my kids or uh, my wife's favorite thing to do, but I'm right there with you. If I'm in Epcot and it's eight o'clock, there's no way I'm leaving the park at that yeah. point. I'm sticking around the rest of the night to watch Illuminations. I love it. Uh, it, it it's the music, uh, like Josh pointed uh, pointed out. I think it, for Illuminations, it's the music, but also the setting based on every previous you know nighttime show that's been there that, that you just can't get away from that setting so i think it's it's an equal parts both the music and the setting uh which that's the only thing that makes me worried a little bit about this this new new show based on the snippets of music that they put out on the official like uh twitter accounts and stuff it's very short short sections uh now granted they're 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 just showing us little parts like you know yeah. we, we, get, we get our like magic journeys blah 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 but I'm worried that it, I don't want them to cram too much in there to where we're not getting much substance in it. And at that point, if they're just trying to shoehorn in every little thing and we, we are getting small, small snippets and yeah. it's uh, a DJ version of, uh, uh, of this show, that's where we're all going to, all going to walk away going, uh, that's crap. So that's my Epcot only thing forever. that I worry about. Epcot forever by dead mouse. <laughs> yep. Yep. So I, I do have that small fear that they're going to try to do too much. Sometimes less is more. I think that's a a pretty valid concern based on yeah. what I've seen. Now, I, I would I'm kind of expecting them to do exactly what you fear, but at the same time, if I get thirty second snippets of everything, um, I, I probably in the one time that I will see it in person probably won't be too upset about it. To be honest, you know, in thirty second, thirty to forty five second snippets is actually pretty substantial in yeah. a show that you know overall what that that length is probably. It's probably what going to be fifteen minutes, you know, it's somewhere gonna, in that range. I think so, that it's going to be it's going to come down to the editing and the transitions. I yep, mean, yep. You know, what's uh, uh, your favorite? Uh, ask both of you favorite spot to watch Illuminations. Uh, mine's Germany, so I can get some uh, caramel popcorn from uh, Carmel Culch, and then enjoy it. And, I don't know. Uh, the, I'm going to I'm going to give you uh, Derek Bergen esque uh, credit for butchering that pronunciation. <laughs> Thank you. And I'm German. That's the sad part. <laughs> I don't know that I have a favorite place, honestly. I, I generally end up either sort of at the entrance coming from toward Future World there or pretty close to the opposite side of it. 
Um, <laughs> okay. I, I like having Spaceship Earth in the background, even though it's not you know a prominent thing at that point in the night. But um, I also like being close to the exit. Not going to lie. <laughs> Fair enough. The pragmatic part of me persists even when I'm emotional and you know reminiscing about my childhood. I think most often we watch it in Norway and like the Norway Mexico area. In front of the Stave Church is a pretty good clear shot. It's a little bit further away from from the action, but everything is so close anyway. It's not really a huge deal. Um, I think probably my the the best spot to watch it is that bridge in France that connects France. Yeah, and the UK. that is a good spot. Um, but I, I actually don't feel like Illuminations is a show that benefits that much from being up close to it. To be honest, no, probably not. Uh, it's probably. a little bit like a Pink Floyd concert. Uh, for those of you who've never been to one, first of all, I'm sorry for you. Um, <laughs> It, you know, but it's so grand that there's, you know, see it up front close once, you know, obviously you're going to have to hurry now if you never have. But also, <laughs> if all you've ever done is see it up close, go watch the whole thing from, you know, way back. It, it's uh, it's very impressive. Just you really do appreciate the scale of it when you can have, you know, 60 or 70 degrees of the horizon in your view and, and see how big the darn thing really is. Well, I, you say that though, I will point out one deal. My, you know, my wife and I got married, uh, back in 2006 at, uh, Disney world and congratulations. Cut, thank you. Thank you. Still together. Hey, uh, we, we cut corners everywhere we possibly could though in the uh, wedding. Cause it's, uh, you know, quite expensive to get that done out there. But the reason for doing that is we did surprise everybody in our wedding party with a, uh, a bus picked us up over at the boardwalk at the end of our reception and drove us over to Epcot. And we reserved the lower, lower terrace level in the UK pavilion for a dessert party and illuminations viewing. And so we were water level, nobody around us, very low. And to this day, people who were at our wedding, that's all they talk about is how cool that night was. Nobody knew we were doing it. And that's cool. Uh, yeah. And so that's one of my absolute, you know, it's a top five Disney World memory for me forever was that evening and getting to do that. So, uh, it's, yes, being back from a distance, being able to take it all in is cool. But being right there on the water and uh, in, in, in having, you know, those shells shoot off from you or all around you, having the closeness of uh, the, the screen and everything. It, it was a really, really cool experience. So it's one of those shows that honestly, you know, you, you hear it said many times, there's not a bad view. It is, uh, you know, that way it, it, you, you can pretty much get anywhere around that water. If you can see the globe in the middle, you're going to have a good time. See, I don't even care about the globe. I think that's the most overrated piece of show equipment that company's ever built. I know they, oh, talk, yeah. About, oh, yeah. Yeah. they talk about how expensive and difficult it was. It's like, yeah, well, you know, there's a lot of things in the world that are difficult that don't impress me. But it, <laughs> it, it, I always say that, though, because if you can see the globe, you'll be able to see the fire barges. And I do like it when the globe separates at the very end and the torch comes up in the middle. So, uh, yes, yeah, so, pervert. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, uh, have you seen it when uh, they're doing the um, uh, the Peace on Earth finale and Martin Smith shows up on the globe. Have you seen that? <laughs> I have not. He has a couple of uh, uh, connections, I guess, is presumably the only way that it's going to happen. But he has made an appearance on the Epcot globe uh, during Illuminations a few years ago. I will say one of the perks of working at Disney World during the summers was, uh, you know, three times I got to go over during the 4th of July and watch the 4th of July uh, kiss at the end, which was quite stunning and amazing. Not a whole lot different from the you uh, are a pervert, aren't you? I am. Uh, so that was always cool. I'm a big fan of Martin Smith, but uh, I don't have the vision. You could put, you could put my face <laughs> on that thing and put me in the front row and I wouldn't know. It's like the magic, the memories in you, uh, castle show. Oh God. Yeah. We put like real, real size four by six photos on the castle and we we're expecting to see it from 200 feet away. Yep. No problem. Yeah. <laughs> 
So uh, something else you'd mentioned, Josh, that you're looking forward to seeing was the Skyliner. Yes. Um, what What are your thoughts on it in general? Uh, and then, I mean, again, we haven't been on it, but uh, right. tweak and adjust, plus it. Make okay. the Skyliner better. Well, I'll, I'm going to give the the super quick synopsis of history because I've said a lot about this thing over the last couple of years on this show, as well as on the kingdom cast. Um, I was originally very negative about it. Mm -hmm. Um, I was one of the first people I'm going to toot my own horn here of declaring that this thing was not going to have air conditioning. And at the point that when I came out and made that proclamation, people came out of the woodwork to tell me what a moron I was. Um, as it turns out, that was unrelated. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) That's completely unrelated people that don't listen to the show or anything. Um, but we now know that's right. But where I do think I was wrong, um, is it does seem there is some power to these things. And it's it's not that the powers run to them continuously, but there's a capacitor-based system and there's a charging arm on it, yada, yada. We don't need to get into the technical details on it. But it seems like there is a basic... Would you op- like me to explain it? I'm very good at technical... No, I've seen how you hook up a subwoofer. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was wrong about that. And the other thing that I declared pretty confidently is that this thing was basically going to be a sweat box that was going to be sending people to the hospital continuously with heat stroke. And uh, some people, uh, Imagineering has on it. There's been a couple of uh, guests that have been allowed on it. And early reports are in. And it seems as though when the thing is moving, at least the ventilation is adequate to keep it from being terribly problematic. So I'm very curious to experience that myself. Uh, I'm a native Floridian. I've lived in Indiana for the last five years, but I spent the first 30 years of my life there. Um, Nobody checked that math. And, um, (laughs) you know, I'm just curious to see what it feels like. So that's the first thing. The other thing is from Tweak and Adjust. And I think this attraction more than any other on Disney property is going to be incredibly, it's going to be incredibly important that it is reliable. Um, both because of the difficulty in evacuating people and because whatever ventilation that you get when the thing is operating obviously won't be there if it stopped. So this is one system where I hope they have got the bugs worked out because on day one moving forward, it has got to be solid. It has got to be reliable. You cannot have 30, 45-minute, one-hour stops on this thing where people are dangling in the Florida sun because they're they're going to be miserable if they're not even you know, medically at risk. So that's kind of what I'm ex- looking forward to seeing is how are the ops on this thing? Does it run smoothly? Um, does it run continuously? And what is the actual experience of being in it? And then of course, you know, just from a normal guest perspective, I want to see what the views are. I'm yeah. curious, did they clean up the roofs on top of the buildings that are Probably visible not. from that thing? <laughs> you know, it's one of the things I remember as a kid riding the monorail through future world and those snow white roofs were there on Communicore. I mean, just everything looks so virginal and pure and beautiful. And you go there now and there's like, you know, there's more unique biological organisms on the roof of those buildings than there are <laughs> in the land. I can assure you that is where the scientist should be is figuring out what's growing on those roofs. You said Back- futurism isn't a concern because uh, you can just update it. They can't power wash something once every 10 years. So that's I don't know true. Can- <laughs> I, I don't know if maybe those beams will delaminate if you hit them with a pressure washer or what, but I mean the whole, you know, there's 12 miles of monorail beam there that look terrible. <laughs> yes, and, yes. And it's such a, it seems like such a minor thing, but it's like, the, the cumulative effect of all those minor details are, is what set Disney apart in the beginning. And they've, I think they've really gotten away from that a little bit, but that's a story for another day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, ben, did you have any thoughts on uh, the Skyliner? I was just going to say backstage was disgusting back when I worked there 20 years ago and it hasn't been clean since. So <laughs> uh, we, we always rent a car. Uh, so I don't know how many opportunities I'll actually have to ride this thing, but uh 
I saw it in action when I was down there this summer. It's impressive. It moves quick uh, at that height that it is and the uh, little bit of sway that I saw in it. It might move a little too quick for my uh, liking, uh, but it, it's a neat system uh, to see going. The, the kinetic energy going through that, you know, any area that it's moving through just brings a new life uh, to any section that you see that in. And in, in, in that's whether it's, uh, you know, in the parking lot of the park or, uh, you know, just drive, driving along the side of them on the highway as uh, you're going to and from areas. It's it's neat seeing those things move. So I think it'll it'll be a big hit. I was really impressed, though, with the one uh, little promo video that Disney put out. And they did have that little snippet of the girl's hair uh, yeah. blowing in the wind that I clipped and, and posted on Twitter. Uh, it, it was almost like a fan was blowing in her hair. They wanted to make sure that you saw that there was circulation moving through these things. It was a very big point uh, in that promo yeah. clip. So uh, I did find that part interesting. Well, if we, if, as we on the show have speculated, I think we all agree that this thing has been ready to run for weeks, if not months. Yeah, it's, it's been a strategic decision to operate it in, in October and not August, which honestly is probably a good choice if for no other reason than the one that I just cited, which is if there is opening glitches, it would be better to be stranded on this thing for 30 minutes in the beginning of October than in the middle of right, you know, right, the end absolutely. of July or beginning of August. So I think that's probably the responsible choice. And it's easy to get negative and just say, oh, you know, it's a it's a scam or, you know, they're trying to pull the wool over our eyes, whatever. But, you know, look, if I were in charge of opening this thing and I had to make the decision of when to do it, I, I'd like to think I would have made the same one. So yeah. I don't want to, on the one hand, like condemn them for not op- for opening uh galaxy's edge when they didn't have it ready to really go and then on the same hand also condemn them for right not opening the skyliner before it was <laughs> really the right time so got to pick live by the sword die by the sword i suppose speaking of galaxy's edge i'm inclined to hold off on our tweak and adjust for that until josh you've seen it in person unless you i agree disagree. Okay. i agree because we've already talked about it so much and you've already seen it so i don't i don't have much to contribute there since you've seen it and i haven't well i've got a lot to say so <laughs> tim ben's coming in hot. Um, no, I'm, I'm okay. We'll wait. We'll wait. <laughs> Perhaps that's the uh, topic for the next show. And when I say that, usually that's three shows from now. But uh, or if you you're John in eleven shows, yes, that too. <laughs> uh, do you guys have anything else for uh, for this week, month, whatever encourage incarnation of a show we're doing? No, I do have a shout I'd like to make though, if I can. Uh-oh. Okay, go for it. Uh, friend, friend of the show, Will uh, graduated law school this year, and as of about an hour ago, is the newest member of bar association in his that state so just that wanted nice. to congratulate him i know firsthand how what a what a challenge that is and and he's a smart young guy and i know that he'll uh, take the world by storm and i'm super proud of him i just want to give him our props Congrats. would you say that, he, that he's slaying it uh, he is slaying it and if it, it <laughs> is poon then i absolutely agree <laughs> And I have a shout out to Gary Hall. Gary, please steam and clean that couch before Josh gets down. (laughs) You might want to do it. Wait till I'm done with it, actually. Probably for the best. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That is going to do it for uh, this episode of Marty Called. If you have any questions or topic ideas, you can email us at martycalled at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter under the username at Marty Called or join in the discussion in our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash Marty Called. We'd also appreciate our listeners bookmarking our Amazon affiliates link over on martycalled.com. Doesn't cost you anything, but helps fund the show with purchases you're going to make anyways. We do have uh, Columbus Day coming up, I believe. So if uh, you make some Columbus Day related purchases, 
purchases, please do it through Amazon. <laughs> Is that a thing? Are people? It's, all, it's <laughs> only only relevant to New Englanders. <laughs> How many That's shopping true. days left before Columbus Day? <laughs> Uh, side, side note, I was married on Columbus Day because it was $10,000 cheaper to do it on that day than it was on the weekend. Did you have an inflatable Nina Pinta in Santa Maria? The, uh... That's how she arrived to the uh, chapel. So do you have sense. an inflatable Maria? <laughs> oh. <laughs> ben, where can we find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at RealSkipperBen, and you can find my top 10 column in every issue of Attractions Magazine. Josh, how about you? Where can we find you online? It's Utilidors. It's spelled wrong because I'm a moron. It's uh, <laughs> two O's instead of one. Thank you very much. Hope you like that, it. That joke never. That joke will never get old. It's not a joke. It's an explanation. <laughs> <laughs> and you can find me at WDW Theme Parks on Twitter, www.themeparks.com. That's it for this week. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Vasectomy. <laughs> <laughs> Pull out. Hello, everyone, and thank you for the download. It's Friday, September 20th, and this is episode 13 of the Marty Called podcast. And it sounds like somebody just started a lawnmower outside my house. Excellent timing. Start over. (laughs) Hello, everyone, and thank you for the download. It's Friday, September 20th. (laughs) (laughs) You could at least put this at the end of the show. (laughs) Maybe. We'll see. See Patreon. Yeah, this is fucking premium content right here. <laughs> <laughs>